we wanted to share a reopening update with all of you. On October 13th, Alameda County moved into the orange tier of the state's four-tier plan with limited church services permitted as long as COVID-19 case rates, testing positivity, and hospitalizations remain stable. This is encouraging yet cautious news since rates elsewhere in the state, country, and worldwide have been increasing. Since summertime, our staff and elder board have been reevaluating reopening with several factors in mind. After much deliberation and seeking counsel from medical and public health professionals, we have decided that we will not be reopening in-person services for the rest of 2020. For now, we will continue forward with our online services. Our children's and student ministries will continue live streaming Zoom Sunday School, and they're currently gauging interest among their volunteers for future in-person Sunday School. Our Cross Street Sunday breakfast to the homeless and hungry continues every week in limited capacity. Though we feel at peace with the decision, we also feel sad about being separated and the isolation and challenges that this season brings. We miss seeing our church family every week and coming together to worship God. We have a more full update to share with you at our website with more information, including the deeply encouraging ways God has shown us his faithfulness in this season. One of those encouraging things has been the baptisms we've had in the fall. Before we head into our sermon, we have a recent baby dedication and baptism to share with you. Uh, let me pray for Sasha. Lord, I ask God that you would impart to Sasha's parents wisdom and discernment as they prepare her. I pray, Lord, that you would use her mightily to bring glory and honor to your name, Jesus, that she would know you at a very early age. Pray, God, your spirit to fill her, to fill her family and household, to raise her in your ways, to know how to discern your will, that she would follow that. I pray for your protection on her, Lord. I ask God that you would uh, give her wisdom as a young lady as she continues to grow up in this world. I pray, Lord, that uh, as she learns who you are through prayer and fellowship and study of your word, God, that she'd be able to hear your still small voice directing her life. Thank you for her life and the blessing that she is. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I basically have been wanting to do this a long time. Um, the time just seems right now. Um, I had a really tough time growing up. It was really hard. There was a lot of abuse. And I found that God in my heart wouldn't let me hate. Wouldn't let me get stuck in sadness. <laughs> And, and he filled my life with wonderful people. And we got to a point where I'm so blessed. And and I've always had, um, even through trials, this like sense of love and protection. And it's because I kept myself 
with God. Even as a young girl, I kept myself with God. And anything I have that I find Regeneration. Uh, we are continuing on in our Ephesians series. You'll find it interesting that in the Greek, verses 3 through 14 are actually one long sentence without any punctuation. Um, actually, a, a very, very beautiful sentence informing us of salvation, but I am very thankful to the English translators who punctuated this very long sentence from the Greek language to the English language, so that's just more readable for us. Um, one of the things, even though this sentence in the original language doesn't have any punctuations, but one thing that is very clear about it, whether punctuated or not, is that salvation starts with God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 it reads, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of this goodness, grace, starts with God. And people who don't believe in God will claim that God is made up by humans, and people of other religions will also speak of humans finding God, but this is not the God we find in Judaism or in Christianity. In Judaism and Christianity, it is God who finds us, and this God is not some sort of cosmic power. Uh, it is not a God without a name. It is not a God without an identity. God is not a God amongst many equal gods. God is not created. Our God is creator, who is eternal, existing before creation. Genesis 1.1 reads, In the beginning God created the heavens, and the earth. God is creator, defender, governor of what goes on with his creation. The Apostle Paul addressed this with the men of Athens, a very intellectual group of people who used to gather around the Areopagus to talk about anything that would be intellectually stimulating. And he addressed these people in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 24, with this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. It's the same God who adopted us to himself through Jesus Christ alone. You can look back to verse 5 for that. It's this same God who blessed us with his glorious grace, verse 6, Ephesians 1. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, verses 7 and 8. 
And believers in Jesus Christ receive all of this. But there's more. Inheritance. Our inheritance, mentioned in verse 14. And so you think about this and you think, what? There's more? Yes. That as a child of God, there's this inheritance for you. But you don't quite get it just yet. Not yet. We are guaranteed it, but we don't have it yet. There's this plan for the fullness of time set forth in Christ, verses 9 and 10. And so we may be asking, what is this fullness of time? And we did talk about this last week, but just as a refresher, this fullness of time started with Jesus incarnate 2,000 years ago. And this fullness of time comes to a close with the return of Jesus which is a date not known to anyone except God the Father. And we are currently living in this fullness of time. The plan for the fullness of time is to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 10. Now this word unite, a really, really beautiful word. And when we think of the United States of America, the idea of that is so beautiful and yet it sure doesn't seem like something we're experiencing right now seems to be something aspirational and something that many people want but doesn't seem actual this idea of reconciling people who are divided amongst each other people who have these vast differences but then are able to come together for something greater is a wonderful idea. It's a wonderful plan. It's a wonderful thought to bring peace in a time of war, to fix things that are broken, to heal what is harmed. And the idea of, is this even possible in our severely divided country? Not without God. Not without God. But God set forth in Christ the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That God will be the one to fix all that is broken. And what we have in the verses we're unpacking today is a, a glimpse of unity through Jesus Christ. There's a, a promise given to the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that is fulfilled in Christ, and, and through Christ's redemptive power, Jesus will unite all who believe in him. And how is this to happen? How is this even possible? I, I, I can't give you those answers. I just know that it's a promise from God. And in verses 11 through 14, we get a glimpse of this. Now, before we dive into these verses, let's pause and just take a look at the pronouns in these verses we're looking at today. You notice the pronoun we in verses 11 and 12, the pronoun you in verse 13, and the pronoun our in verse 14. Now please keep these pronouns in mind as we look into these verses. So let's first dive into 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Who is this we 
in verses 11 and 12. Paul is referring to the Christ-believing Jews, Messianic Jews who have come to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Messiah. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now why to the Jew first? We need to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Let's start in verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the house, the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations." He chose them first, the Jew first, out of love. It's the same reason why God chose you. Why did he choose you? He loves you. Why does God love you? It's grace. It's all grace. You didn't earn it. He gave it. It's this amazing grace given out of his love. And these believing Jews have obtained an inheritance in Christ. In Christ, they are adopted into God's family. No one is in God's family outside of Christ. Christ is the heir of all things. And this inheritance is only through Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Everything belongs to those in Christ. There, there's so much freedom when we know that we have everything. We can be free of covetousness. We can be generous There's an inheritance that is endless. Now, to the next part of verse 11, it reads, Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What does this mean? Well, let's think about Habakkuk to help us through this part of this verse. I I know that was a really long time ago that we looked at that book, but, but that book is so relevant to us today. And how Habakkuk starts is with a complaint to God. Habakkuk chapter 1, let's start in verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for your help? And you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Sound familiar at all? Sound relevant at all? And then God replies in verses 5 through 11. 
And in that reply, it's not something that Habakkuk expects. It's not something that Habakkuk is very happy with. Because God is telling Habakkuk that the way he's going to deal with all this injustice and violence and all that is going on wrong is he's going to judge them with an outside group, with an enemy group named the Chaldeans. A, a very hostile group to deal with the terrible things within the people of God. Not what Habakkuk thought was going to happen. I don't know what Habakkuk thought was going to happen. Maybe that he thought God was just going to snap his fingers and everything was going to be good. But that's not what happened. It's actually a very tragic way that was dealt with God's people. And yet, how does Habakkuk end? Jump to chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Meaning, if everything around me falls apart, there's a total economic collapse, there is no food, everything is bad, what? What then? And this is what Habakkuk replies, verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You see this very strong trust, strong faith Habakkuk has in God. And it's a belief that is not dependent on how good things are around him, how good things are for him or for the others. And so you see how we are so preoccupied and consumed with ourselves when we start with us and how we feel and how we think others feel around us and all the circumstances around us and not taking God into account at all. When this is all about God first, and this is how many people are. This is, this is a reason some people give as to why they don't believe in God. Because they think, you know what, if God were real, I wouldn't be suffering like this. If God were real, the people around me wouldn't be suffering like this. We wouldn't be dealing with this violence. We wouldn't be dealing with this injustice. Here's the thing. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's not even all about us. It's all about God. Look back to verse 11. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God's purpose. God's will. It's not about our comfort. It's not about us being free of burdens. God does not answer to you and me. And what is this about God's purpose, God's will? Look at verse 12. So that we who were the first, the Jews, to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And this is very instructive because whatever we do as a child of God, we are to do it to the praise of God's glory. 
If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would you do? You see, most people, we have our usual day of waking up and getting ready for work, working. And in that time frame, we, we interact with people in our lives, whether it's our, our friends or people in our household. And then we go to bed. That's typically the day. And however it's different for you, whatever your day is like, we are to do it to the praise of his glory. And so if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, you don't suddenly just get extra pious and start practicing your spiritual disciplines longer. But it's just those everyday, ordinary things you do in your life, you you are doing it to the praise of his glory, that there's an immense freedom in the Lord that we are just living our life. And that brings praise to His glory. Verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And this phrase, you also, meaning Gentiles. Everyone else. Everyone that is not Jewish. We, we get the same inheritance. We're included in the, the same promises. We, we all have the same inheritance in Christ as a, a Jew or Gentile. We all have the same blessings from God. Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, we all get the same inheritance. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. As the Jewish believer comes to faith in Jesus, so it is for the Gentile believer. It's the same thing. It happens the same way. You look at verse 13 again. When you heard the word of truth, See, someone shared that reality of the good news, that, that truth of the gospel. Now, what's the gospel? It, it's not just wisdom. It's not just teaching. It's the good news of what God has done through Jesus so that our relationship with God is reconciled. God is not silent and just sitting back for us to find Him. God took initiative. God was proactive in seeking us out. God proactively planned to reach us through Christ, to speak to us so that we can hear the word of truth. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Do you hear that truth? Do you hear that truth? See, we can't be a Christian without the truth of the gospel. And this is how people become believers in Christ. So are we telling people this good news? Are we, are we sharing the good news of Christ with those who don't know Jesus? This is the only way for them to hear the truth is to have someone tell them, share it with them. Because you and I, we don't convict people. And we don't convert people. We share with them the truth. We sow the seed. And then the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit converts people. And then they have something to do. Peter said this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent 
and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Been very encouraged over the past several weeks that we've just had a number of baptisms, and we just shared another one with you with Zara. That even though we're not meeting face to face, that we get to experience these wonderful occurrences where people repent and, and they get baptized. And then after people believe in Jesus and they repent and they get baptized, what happens? You look down to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The gospel was shared. The Holy Spirit convicted. The Holy Spirit converted people and the faith community came together. That they got together devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and praying. Devoting themselves to the study of God. Being together, praying. This, this all takes effort to learn more about Christ. And we need to use our minds to learn about Christ. Fast forward to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. It reads this. But that is not the way you learned Christ. You see, there's this effort to learn Christ through study, through fellowship, through breaking bread, through praying. It doesn't just happen. There are these proactive steps on our parts to grow, to learn, to share the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not ever heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that doesn't necessarily just mean me. It means us. We preach. We share the gospel of salvation. And then the Holy Spirit convicts and the Holy Spirit converts. The people we share the gospel with, they believe or they don't. And that conversion is not up to us. That's between them and God. And we're just to simply be faithful in telling people the good news so that they can hear the gospel. We, we pray that people believe in Jesus so, so that they'll be sealed with this promised Holy Spirit. Sealed as in belonging. It's, it's, it's a mark. It's a seal of, of belonging. Hearing the truth. Believing in Jesus. And then sealed with this promise of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. When the Spirit of God dwells in you, it's, it's a sign that you belong to God. The Spirit of God leads your steps. We are active in living a life according to the purpose of God, according to God's will. We actively live a life for the praise of God's glory so that no matter what ordinary thing we do with our life in terms of work or, or living with a family or a community, we're led by the Spirit of God. We're heirs. We're children who have an inheritance. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit to live as children of God, who, who have communion with God, to whom we can cry out, in times that are what Habakkuk experienced, which is very much like today, or when our own personal lives are unsettled, that we can cry out to God, that God is always with us. Verse 14, Ephesians 1, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Our inheritance, we acquire possession of it. That, that last pronoun there, our and we. We've been given the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, that our inheritance is one that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What God promised in our inheritance, it's in heaven, safeguarded, not because of what we've done. It's because of what Christ did on the cross. All grace and that Christ made atonement for your sins, my sins. I know that we are wondering when we're going to meet together in this church building again. And the elders and ministry staff have gotten together talking about this for a very long time about when this is going to happen. Um, you got the news that it will most likely be in 2021. But the thing is, is the purpose of God, God's will, living to the praise of God's glory, it can all happen in this current COVID world we're living in, and it has been happening. People coming to repentance and being baptized. People are still fellowshipping. People are still hearing the word of truth. The God of their salvation is still penetrating into their hearts and people are still needing to believe in Christ in order to have that sealed promise of the Holy Spirit. These things haven't changed because we have, haven't met in our church facility for a while. And when we do gather again, we'll be doing those same things. We'll be studying the word, we'll fellowship, we'll break bread, we'll pray. And I'm hoping that we're still all doing this together. I know that it's not as frequent. I know that it is not as convenient. I know that it is very difficult, challenging for some to fellowship in this way, to, to break bread in this way, to, to gather together in this way, to find community, to participate in all these things in our current circumstance. And if you are having trouble plugging into community at this time, I, I ask that you would please contact us by email, phone, or however you need to get in contact with us, and 
and to inform us and, and have us help you find community. It may not look the way that you want it to. It probably won't. But we can help it get a little bit better than maybe what you're experiencing currently. And you may need to find some flexibility in how you want things. It, it may not be like that for a while. We don't know what's going to happen in these next couple of months. We just don't know. It will be great when we gather again. It will be wonderful. But in the meantime, things haven't changed for you and for me. We still need to preach Jesus so that all can hear to the praise of his glory. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, your church has experienced many challenges throughout history. And this is but another one where we are to rely on you. Holy Spirit, we ask for your guidance. Lord, we ask for your wisdom and discernment for the decisions made. We ask, Lord, for more patience, for more understanding. Lord, in this current way of how church is being conducted, there are some who simply don't like this virtual way of doing things. And there are others who are fine with it. We pray for understanding for those who do not want to do it this way. And we ask, Lord, for, for patience for them. And for those who do enjoy it this way, Lord, that you would plant it in their head that this is temporary. This is not how it's meant to be. We are meant to be together. To fellowship, to break bread, to pray, to study together as a faith community. So Lord, I ask for that beginning in terms of changing hearts that there would be a desire for us to be together, that you would unite us. God, that there's been seven months of us just being apart and a possibility, a high possibility of those being more distant from us just to kind of lose touch. And so God, I pray that that would already start, that you would start mending those things that are broken and, and bringing together those parts that are just hanging by a thread, that you would strengthen all that and you would unite us. And as you bring us together, when we do gather again together, that it would be glorious. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, uh, I ask that you would take that out at this time. This wafer, even though it's small and we do this every week, I'd just like to pause and to reflect on how special, valuable this sign, this sacrament has been passed on to us, symbolizing the broken body of Christ. This eternal redemptive plan of God to reconcile us to him. A sign of a promise 
that he made that he will return. Let's take this in his memory. And the fruit of the vine, symbolizing the blood of Christ, spilled, atoned for us, an atonement for us, redeeming us. The fulfillment of time that started 2,000 years ago, which started this sacrament, and we continue this until Christ's return. We take this together. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful sacrament, and we look forward to your return. We pray that you empower and equip your church to continue sharing your gospel of salvation. In Jesus' name.